Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell, laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Dr. Stuart Schenker. He is a distinguished research professor emeritus of philosophy and psychology, the founder and visionary of the Merit Center and Self-Reg Global Incorporated. He is the author of several books, including Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life, a book that we've mentioned on this podcast maybe more than any other parenting book. The Self-Reg Framework uses cutting-edge neuroscience to help children and adults feel happy and think clearly by better regulating themselves. Dr. Schenker's latest books are Self-Reg Schools, a handbook for educators, and Reframed, Self-Reg for a Just Society. Welcome, Dr. Schenker. Thank you very much, Amy. Let's start with the three sort of basic principles of the the Self-Reg Framework. Well, the first one is kind of interesting, and that is that all babies, all human kids are born premature. This is a recent discovery, and there's lots of reasons why we believe this is the case, but the essence of it is babies, you know, we push them out about two to four months prematurely. What that does is it allows their brain to just explode with growth. 700 new synapses, at the moment of parturition, 700 new synapses form every single second. So it's just this amazing burst of brain growth that couldn't have happened inside the womb. But for scientists, that created a really interesting problem. If you want to talk about the newborn as a, quote, fetus outside the womb, then you need something to take the place of the umbilical cord. What is it that ties the mother or whoever is the primary caregiver to the baby, to this fetus in the way that the umbilical cord did. And the idea that scientists came up with is called the interbrain. And the interbrain is kind of like a Bluetooth connection between the mother's brain and the baby's brain. In fact, we can go a little more specifically. It's a part of the mother's brain that's called the limbic system, the subcortex. This is the part that goes underneath the prefrontal cortex. And it wires into, it's hooked up to the baby's limbic system. And there's an obvious reason for that. When I talked about the enormous explosion of brain growth in a newborn, 
that's really in the thinking parts of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. So we've got this limbic to limbic connection. And then the question is, so what? Why does this matter? We aren't just reading what our baby is feeling. We aren't just interpreting. The mother's actually feeling it. The mother is feeling when the baby's in distress. The baby is feeling what the mother's feeling. So if the mother is nice and calm and relaxed, that's what the baby's feeling. And we can actually explain that in chemical terms. We know what the neurochemicals are. So what's happening is when mom is in that nice, calm, relaxed state, not only is the baby calm and relaxed, this is the state that encourages healthy brain growth, healthy development of the immune system, healthy adaptation to stress. The technical term for it is secondary altriciality. This idea that we're connected to our baby with this interbrain, this wireless connection, that's huge. But it raises a really interesting question. How long do I have this interbrain connection with a kid? And the answer is always. We always have this wireless connection to our kids. And, you know, I had to laugh when I was watching some of your podcasts. You know, sometimes you wish you didn't have it, but you do. Right now, I've got an 18-year-old who is finding it very tough to go back to school. And I'm afraid I am not just observing, I am sharing his anxiety and his anguish. And we feel it with our friends and we feel it with our spouses and we feel it with our parents. The interbrain is one of the big game changers in modern developmental theory. We understand this interbrain connection. What does it translate to for our listeners who are gathering all of this new information? Does it mean that we need to regulate our behavior? Does it affect how our kids regulate their behavior? How does it apply to our daily lives, this new understanding? Okay, so Margaret introduced a very interesting word just now, this idea of regulating. How does it impact how we regulate our kids? So what does that word mean? I want to do just a little bit of science. What we're talking about when we talk about regulation is how we manage stress. For a scientist, the scientific definition of stress is anything that requires our brain to burn energy to stay in balance. So our babies are born into stress. The very act of being born is stressful. And certainly having done it, the (laughs) act of giving birth is quite stressful. Yeah. So Margaret, that's a really interesting question. Why do we put up with it? I mean, it really is a big stress. And nature took that into account and she gave the mom a bunch of really nice neurochemicals that are soothing and sedating. And she gave them to the baby too. So that raises a really interesting question. Okay, so we got this idea that stress is anything that requires us to burn energy. And probably the single biggest stress for the newborn is light. And we don't often think of light as a stress, but it is. You know, the baby, this fetus has been used to the dark. And not necessarily quiet. We think the womb is a pretty noisy place, especially with mom's heartbeat, but it's dark. The light itself is a stress on the nervous system. You have to burn energy 
to deal with this sudden brightness. And a lot of times uh, when we work with newborns, when we work in the NICU, we will turn off the lights, which is a big stress for a preemie. So here's my baby and my baby's burning an awful lot of energy to deal with the stress of light. Now, my baby can self-regulate. My baby is born with a couple of self-regulating, meaning mechanisms for dealing with stress. And the baby's most basic one is they fall asleep. So sleeping for a baby is a self-regulating mechanism, but it's not a very good one. It really isn't very good. And it's complicated, but basically... I remember once, this is in the 2016 book, I had to meet with some young parents and they were taking their three-week-old to the bistro. And the reason they were doing it was they couldn't get their baby to sleep. And sleep problems in an infant are signs of overstress. And the baby would only fall asleep in the bistro. And so they thought, well, this is great. We figured out, you know, in this noisy, crowded environment, how to get the kid to sleep. But in fact, what was happening was, the stress was so great that the baby was falling asleep to protect itself. So we had to figure out other ways of why was this baby so stressed? And it has to do with their nervous system. All right, Margaret, I haven't forgotten your point. So if you think about it, so here's my baby exposed to all these physical stresses, things that are making their nervous system burn an awful lot of their energy, their glucose. So light, crowds, people, my older child is on the spectrum. So I got to learn, you know, firsthand just how everything can be a stress. So if everything is so stressful, what turns the stress off? That's another neurochemical and it's called oxytocin. What oxytocin does is it shuts down the stress response. I've got a stress and I'm starting to burn a lot of energy and the oxytocin turns it off. The oxytocin soothes my nervous system. So then the question is, how do I trigger oxytocin? <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> I hope you can tell me. Breastfeed all the time. The baby has all these receptors in their skin, these oxytocin receptors. And when I stroke my baby, when I cuddle my baby, and even, and here's a real recent discovery, when I sing a lullaby to my baby, I am triggering oxytocin. That singing, that low voice is actually a form of touch. You are caressing the baby's eardrum and that releases oxytocin. So it has to be gentle and has to be soothing. Does it matter if you have a terrible singing voice? Uh, well, speaking from experience, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Well, calm down. <laughs> Just keep it low and soothing, even if it's not in tune. Okay. So here's the really cool part of all this. So this interbrain that I talked about, it works in both directions. So here I am, and I'm giving my baby that oxytocin that turns off their stress. And when I do this, I'm giving myself oxytocin. It works both ways. My wife assures me that breastfeeding is not a, it's not a picnic, but the very act of breastfeeding. So what's happening is the baby's getting a flood of, of oxytocin, but so are you. So is the mom. And so one of the things that we're going to work on when we look at the deeper aspects of Margaret's question is what are the things that I can do as a parent that are going to give my kid oxytocin, whatever their age, when my kid needs it? And what are the things I can do to give myself oxytocin? And what state do I have to be in in order for us both to have this benefit? That's what self-reg is all about. 
it's getting into that state where I can, in fact, be calm myself and lend my calm to my kids. How we are doing this at all ages and stages, sending this oxytocin in all directions. We'll be right back with Dr. Stuart Shanker. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own, and today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. So we're back with Dr. Stuart Shanker, and we're going to talk about the self-reg framework and how we can self-regulate with our kids. I mean, I remember those newborn days. I just was holding my two-year-old niece last weekend and thinking about it when you were saying this, Dr. Shanker. She was very tired. She laid down on my lap. And she just kind of put her head on my chest. And it was the happiest 20 minutes I've had in five years, you know, because my kids are big and she just, we just relaxed into each other. So I know exactly what you mean. Interesting. So what do we do when our kids are eight and 10 and 18 and they don't want to cuddle with us anymore? <laughs> well, first of all, yeah, you'd be surprised. I've got, I mentioned my older boy has autism and when he gets really overstressed, what he really needs is he needs a cuddle but it takes a little bit of work to get into that point. So we have five steps that we go through with parents. And the first step is maybe the most interesting, and it's called reframing. And what reframing means is you want to ask yourself as a parent when your kid is doing something that's absolutely driving you nuts, whatever it is. And it could be that the kid is arguing or the kid is behaving in some obnoxious way, or maybe the kid's just really withdrawn and depressed. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask ourselves two questions. Why and why now? 
the reason we do it is we really want to put a pause before we react. I'll just give you a really interesting aspect of the interbrain. If my kid is agitated, anxious, and my limbic system is connected to my kids, I share that anxiety. I instantly become anxious myself, or I instantly become angry myself. So when we ask why and why now, what we're doing is we're breaking that automatic reaction, giving myself that chance to take a deep breath, to not share in my kid's agitated state. But we want to do something else too. So what we're asking why, we want to know, is my kid misbehaving or is this a stress behavior? And that's a hugely important distinction. When the kid's misbehaving, that just means that the kid's doing it on purpose. All kids are going to misbehave. They're going to see what they can get away with. They're going to see, you know, where are the limits? Maybe this is a chance that I can, you know, steal that extra piece of cake, whatever. But more common at all ages is stress behavior. And stress behavior are caused by systems deep inside the brain. In a stress behavior, the kid's not doing it intentionally. The kid may not even know what he or she is doing. So I'll give you one example. One of the big problems that all parents are facing right now is that our kids are in a serious state of energy depletion. They're, it's like a car with no fuel in the tank. They're running on empty. And when that happens, when a kid's running on empty, it triggers a system way deep in the brain that looks for energy. It's called a seeking system. That system is, it can be pretty hard to deal with. It can be very aggressive. It can be very oppositional. But really all that's going on is that the brain is saying, I need some glucose and I need it now. Unfortunately, we live in an age where there's all kinds of products out there that say to the kid, when you're tired, when you're dragging yourself, I'll give you a shot of dopamine. We call it dopamine hooking. And there's all kinds of ways for a kid to get dopamine. You can get it from a video game. If you ever ask yourself as a parent, why is my child so hooked on this utterly ridiculous game? The answer is because they're getting a shot of dopamine. And whoever's created the game has figured out how to keep them hooked on dopamine. Can I just tell you one little piece of science? Like, it's a real big one. One of the great discoveries of the 20th century was by two psychologists called Milner and Olds. And they took a bunch of rats. They gave them a feeding station where they could get dopamine. And right beside it, they put a feeding station where they could get food and water. And what they found was the rats would latch onto the dopamine to the point where they wouldn't go right beside it to get food and water. And the rats would die from thirst or starvation while they were kept on going after the dopamines. Unfortunately, in today's world, kids are going after dopamine to keep themselves going. When what they really need, maybe it's food, maybe what they need is a hug. And I say that because if they get the hug, they're getting oxytocin. If they're overstressed, what happens is dopamine will keep you going even though you're overstressed, but it won't turn off the stress. Only the hug will. Only the 
presence of your caregiver. Of course, when your kid is agitated, they don't say, I need a hug, right? They're agitated. You're agitated. We have this Bluetooth brain connection. And now we're both dysregulated. Speaking for myself. Well, speaking for all of us. Thank you. Speaking for everyone. So you're identifying the stressors in your kid and then also perhaps saying, oh, and here it is in me, right? And I'm stressed because my kid is stressed. Is it, do you need to sort of align that for yourself? Amy, that's just such a brilliant point. So it really, because I just talked about reframing. And so we're going to reframe is my child's behavior, stress behavior or misbehavior. But I'm going to reframe my own behavior. Is my reaction a stress reaction? And so what happens when you say why and why now is it's incredible how instantly the second I see that my kid is overstressed, that it's a stress situation, I calm down right away. I switch gears and it's quite phenomenal. It's just the second I've reframed and look, I do it with myself all the time. I'm on a real strict diet these days. So I'm not allowed salt. The second I see some salt in front of me, I'll do anything. (laughs) I've got to get it. But then what I learned is I reframe it. Why do I have this craving now? So instead of fighting it, I try to understand it. And the second I understand that, oh, it has something to do with my stress was building and I didn't even know it. So I start to calm down. And the craving goes away. The craving just subsides. If I still have the craving, then go eat the damn salt. So the third step in this framework is once we've identified that they're stressed and then identify why now, which it's interesting when you stop and think about it, there always is a why now. My kid blew up on a vacation this summer and it was because of the time change. Like once I stopped and thought about it for 20 seconds, it was from sleep deprivation. Yeah, real good one. Yeah. And then, then the fear comes out of it, right? You know, like, why is this kid doing this right now? Well, there is an answer. And then once you consider what it might be, then all of a sudden it seems much less big. I know how to reduce the stress. Let's get back to the hotel. Yeah. So the third step is sort of to find the dimmer switch for the moment, so to speak, whatever it might be. So in the third step, so what we're going to do is we're going to reduce the stress. It could be exactly what Amy just said, right? So, you know, I mean, we had an experience like that this week. My younger son is very sensitive to crowds. Crowds are a huge stress for him. And so started to melt down. And the answer was leave the crowd. But there's another aspect of this that's really important. Remember that what I said was, so to reduce the stress, I need to turn off what's called the stress response, these chemicals deep inside the brain. So I'm going to do that by whatever the stressor is. And for many parents today, it'll be something as simple as turning off the computer because that becomes a stress when it's overdone. But also, I need those neurochemicals, the oxytocin, to turn off the stress. That's how I reduce the impact of stress. So I'm going to start to learn, this is one of the things that we teach when we do our parenting course, I'm going to learn what are the experiences other than a hug, what other kinds of things produce oxytocin. And science has been real interesting here. We know that music triggers oxytocin. Now, obviously, it's going to depend on what kind of music. So we don't want that music, that that synthetic music, which is going to actually produce adrenaline, you know, with the heavy bass line or whatever, or swear words. Uh, We want that soothing music. My favorite example is I've worked for many years with Rafi. You know who Rafi is? 
I'm aware. Sure am. Okay. So for young kids, I think, you know, Rafi is God's gift to parents. But there are lots of experiences that we now know trigger oxytocin. And it can be something as simple as being in nature. We know that this triggers it. Cooking triggers it. Lots and lots of things. So, but what we want to do is we want to make sure, and I'll just mention one other distinction here. We distinguish between maladaptive self-regulation and adaptive or healthy self-regulation. Maladaptive self-regulation is the kid jumps onto something that reduces the stress in the moment, but creates greater stress down the road. So what we are actually seeing is a generation of children now, children and teens, youth, that are drawn into all kinds of maladaptive ways of self-regulating. So, I mean, just to give one example, we have a very big problem up here in Canada. We legalize marijuana, and now we've seen an absolutely explosion of marijuana use in teenagers below the age. Uh, They have to be 18 to buy it, but we're seeing it in young teens. But this is very maladaptive, and it's maladaptive because what it does is, apart from, you know, the possible harm that you're doing to the brain, you haven't done anything to relieve the stress. All you're doing is you are masking it for the moment. And so the stresses are still there, and when the effects of the drug wear off, they're even worse. And you can think of many examples like this. So what we want to do is when we talk about the five steps of self-reg, we need our kid to learn these. We need our kid to recognize for themselves. We ran a clinic for many years in a lab, and one of our most shocking discoveries was that children can learn this, the difference between maladaptive and healthy, as young as three years old. So kids can learn this. You just have to figure out how you teach it in a way that they can feel it. This can't just be some sort of you know, lecture. And that leads me to step four. And step four is the one that that's the big one for all of us. And that's, you know, we want our kid to be calm. And what we're seeing is a generation of kids that do not know what calmness is. And calmness is very different from being quiet. A child can be quiet and their brain can be working like crazy. What we mean when we talk about calm is your mind is calm and your body is calm. So the tension's gone. And unfortunately, if you deal with stress by going for a shot of dopamine, you will not learn what calmness feels like. In order for this to stick, the kid has to actually experience true calmness. And what they'll find, you don't have to sell them on it. Once a kid feels it, they will want it again. When we're calm, we get another neurochemical. This time we get what are called endogenous opioids, and they feel damn good. And so they course through the brain. And so we want our child to get hooked on this really pleasant neurochemical so that they start looking at what are the things I can do that will produce it in myself. And it might be something as simple as just sitting with mom and dad or whoever, or it could be art, it could be whatever, but they have to learn to find this so that when they get older they will naturally seek out calmness. Okay, so we're all waiting for the fifth step in the framework, but we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. We're talking to Dr. Stuart Schenker. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different Different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, Dr. Shanker, we're ready for the fifth step in this self-reg framework. Okay, so the fifth step is called restore, restoration. Now, restoration, that's a scientific term. When we are under stress, we produce a bunch of chemicals, a bunch of them. And the one that you've all heard of would be something like adrenaline. And they keep us going and they, you know, they raise our heart rate and they raise our breathing, but they burn an awful lot of energy. So when we go into restoration, we have to refill the tank. We have to fill up all the glucose that we've spent. But we've also done a whole bunch of things that have hurt our body. You know, we've caused some damage to some cells, strain on our organs. Our digestion has been, you know, kind of screwed up. So there's this wonderful neurochemical, another one, and it's called, if you're interested, acetylcholine. And it lowers the heart. It lowers the breathing. It does all this repair and it lets us fill up our tank. But there's other aspects of restoration that we need to do. So what we need to do is we need to restore our good mood. We need to restore our positive outlook on life. We need to restore our optimism. And even more important is we have to restore 
the social connections in our life that matter. The connections with our parents, the connections with our friends, and these have to be real connections. These have to be what we call proximal, physical connections. Because remember what I've been talking about all day today. We need that physical touch. We need, there's a wonderful story in 2016 book, Self-Rig, of this mother and child that were constantly going at each other every night. And the kid was being really irrational. And the irrationality comes because a different part of the brain is running the show. And the mom kept on trying to explain how irrational she was being. But you can't explain things to this part of the brain. So what she had to do was she had to turn it off. She had to turn off, it's called the red brain, soothe it. And the way she did it in this particular, in the story I told in the book, the way she did it was by stroking the child. This was a kid who liked to be scratched. I have a kid like that too. You scratch them with your fingernails. And what had been two-hour fights every single night, suddenly within 15 minutes, the kid was ready to go to sleep. And in fact, just before she falls asleep, she says, she's 13-year-old, and she says to her, mommy, I love you, mommy, because she's gone back in time to that security of infancy. So the point of restoration is we have to restore the important relations in our lives. And unfortunately, if you know, if you've got a kid right now, let's say a teenager who's really struggling, it's fascinating how often they will go into seclusion, they cut themselves off from their friends, cut themselves off from their parent, and seek solace if they can find it in, let's say, some form of dopamine. But what they really need is they need that physical as well as emotional contact, the relationship. So when we talk about respiration in step five, we're not just talking about a neurochemical, restoring energy. We're talking about restoring the important relationships that we all need. I wanted to ask Dr. Schenker, because this was an important thing for me to understand, how self-reg is different from self-control and how we're getting it wrong where we're just telling our kids to sort of stop being so mad. So this is probably the single most important discovery that we've made in the last 20 years in terms of how we parent. Our kid gets these impulses and whatever the impulse is, we think that the best thing I can do for my child is to strengthen their ability to inhibit that impulse. And the problem is it doesn't work. And so we've seen over and over that what happens is you end up as a parent, you know, upping the consequences, upping the punishment. So we've seen this over and over And not only does it not work, in fact, it creates even more stress for the child. It's very hard on a parent. It's very hard on us to be in this, you know, this position of having to punish, of having to be the disciplinarian. So what we really want to do is we want to get rid of those impulses. We want to understand what is triggering those impulses. And what triggers them comes from deep inside the brain. There are, in fact, seven different systems that we look at in self-reg. When these go into an imbalance, when they get out of, a little dysregulated because of too much stress, they cause all of the behaviors that drive us nuts as parents. So what we want to figure out through the five steps is... Why did those systems, so one of the systems is called the rage system. 
So why did it become dysregulated? I won't explain it now because it takes a little bit of time. You have to do one of the courses if you want to learn. But the point is, we're asking why and why now again? Why is my kid so angry over something that makes no sense? And then you stop and you realize, wait a second, that anger isn't intentional. That anger is a stress behavior. So it's caused by a part of the brain that we've inherited from mammals. It's dysregulated. It's bound up with fear. And what's really interesting, it's bound up with pain. So when a kid is really, really angry, they are in a great deal of pain as well. So what we're doing here is, oh my goodness, this isn't at all what I thought. It's not a case of my kids being a really bad kid. In fact, there isn't such a thing. I've seen an awful lot of kids. There's no such thing as a bad kid. We can make them bad, but they're just kids. The reason why we have this distinction between self-regulation and self-control is we're saying, okay, this impulse is telling me something really important. It's telling me something about the stresses that my kid is under. And so I switch gears. I do exactly what Amy said before, you know, so I'm going to remove the stresses, whatever I'm going to trigger off the the oxytocin, whatever I can do. And the point is, you will quickly discover no kid likes it when they're dysregulated at any age. We just didn't give them the tools to understand why this is happening to them and what they can do themselves. And God, in the world that they are growing up in now, the greatest gift we can give them is to recognize when they're becoming overstressed and what they can do to reduce that, not being shouted at that you're weak, that if you don't shape up, you're going to pay the price. Instead, we're looking for understanding and awareness. And what I find exciting in all this is there's never a kid who's on a bad trajectory. There's never a trajectory that we can't change. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a little bit of time and patience and love, but we can always help them get to that stage four of being calm. And the huge significance of everything I've said today is, you know, we've got these five steps leading to restoration. You cannot get to restoration, which every child needs, every adult needs, unless you've gone through steps one to four. You need to be in that state of calm in order to get to five. And you can't, you know, I can tell with absolute certainty, I can tell every parent who listens to your podcast, telling a kid who's agitated that they need to calm down will never, ever work. (laughs) Has never worked in the history of parenting. Too bad, right? Then we would need to have this whole framework. It doesn't work, though. Yeah, too bad. That's true. Can you tell us, Dr. Schenker, about the online courses that you offer for parents in the self-reg framework? So we have lots. The one to start with is probably the online parenting course. And what this is, is it's basically our director, Susan Hopkins, has worked with a whole bunch of parenting experts. And it's a 10-part video online course that you learn, you know, techniques, how to read the signs. One of the questions I'm sure everybody's wondering right now is, you know, I like this idea of distinguishing between misbehavior and stress behavior. How do I actually do it? What are the signs of when it's a stress behavior? So that's something that they teach. Uh, And they'll teach you how you identify stress behaviors through tone of voice or through eyes, uh, through facial complexion. 
And then you want to know, well, what do I do? Amy raised this question uh, some time ago today. Here's my kid that is really in the midst of, you know, if they're young, a meltdown, if they're a teenager, emotional turmoil, what do I do in this moment? What are the techniques to help them and myself calm down? And then, you know, one of the big things that we find is uh, it's a chance to interact with other parents that are also part of the course and uh, sharing uh, wisdom. I can tell you right now that I've actually learned a couple of things from what you said today, Amy. That would be true for everybody. Thank you. And we believe in that. That's what this podcast is all about, right? We're fellow travelers. This is sometimes hard for everybody and we can all learn so much from one another. Especially today. Especially today. I just wanted to say, anybody who's listened to this podcast for a while know that really Margaret and I talk about the self-reg framework and when your kid is in red brain, what does and doesn't work. And it's transformational. It really, really helps. And it has just been such an honor to talk to you today, Dr. Shanker. Thank you, Amy. I've, I've enjoyed this and I had a ball going through your podcast. You guys have got the touch. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll put the link to everything we talked about in the show notes so you can find Dr. Shanker's work and online courses. And thanks for listening. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. 
and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking